Easy and I started off 2022 in a good way. A few days ago, we joined Crunch Fitness. And I'm not going to talk about resolutions. We did not make one, okay? And that way we don't have to look at what we didn't keep. But we only joined, really, because our 24-hour fitness location that we were members of for years and years and years closed during the COVID shutdown, and then it never reopened. The Dynamic Fitness, that's really the next closest gym to us, their cardio is upstairs. And so you, there's no elevator. And so you have to walk upstairs. And you might want to do the stair climber, but you don't want enforced stair walking. If you can help it, you want to do it when you want to. So Dynamic, you know, we rule that out. And the person that we bought our house from actually came by and brought us a pecan pie. It's sort of at odds with our fitness routine here, but they brought us a pecan pie because for 14 years, whenever mail comes to our house that still belongs to them, even though they sold us the house 13, 14 years ago, we just put it in an envelope, put a new stamp on it, and mail it to them. And then they just thought that was incredibly generous. I just think it's normal. I mean, isn't that just something we should do for others? And actually, one of them was a check, and she got $100 in the mail because I was kind enough to go ahead and mail her mail to her. But she brought us a pecan pie, and when they were there, they said, we don't see y'all at the gym anymore, you know, since 24-hour fitness is closed. But we joined this other place called Crunch Fitness. And so we thought, okay, we'll go look at it. And so we went over there. You know, it was cheap, so that worked, $10 a month. And it was close. It was one mile away. That worked. And the reason I bring it up is because when we talked to the young guy there who was in charge of training sessions, I said, you know, sometimes my husband likes to get some training sessions. At his age, you know, he wants to keep his form right. And sometimes he needs a few different things than he used to when he was younger. And his flexibility, he needs to work on it. And I said, so do you have much experience with older people? And Easy at that point pipes up. He goes, you know, I used to work with the Vander Holyfield. And, and I go, excuse him. I go, I, I go, he's just used to trainers with a lot of experience. A Vander's trainer is a spiritual son of his, and he used to work out with him. And he just used to people with a lot of experience. And, and the guy looked like he, he wasn't even sure who a Vander Holyfield was. And, and so, and I said, and, you know, that was decades ago. And and I said, but do you have much experience with older people? And he goes, yeah. And, and Easy pipes in, son, how long you been doing this? And, and I'm like, oh, I go, excuse him. And I, I said, I go, you know, he's just used to older guys. You know, Easy already had said, you know, how much experience you have. And I thought, let me just get specific. And I go, okay. I go, really, I guess what we're wanting to know, do you have experience with older people? And he goes, I do. And I said, well, then how old is like the oldest person that you're training? And he goes, pretty old. And, and he thought for me, he goes, I think they're 62. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I go, my husband is about to set you a whole new record. And so anyway, it's interesting how different our perspectives are on time, on age, on time. I mean, I mean pretty old, 62. I'm like, I, I stare at him. And so today, I want to talk to you just a little bit about time, about time. Alan taught and preached one time, and he talked about kairos and chronos, a specific time, a rhema time that God's going to do something, chronos, as time moves on. But really the definition, let's look up our definition, time, a continuum which lacks spatial dimensions and in which events succeed one another from the past, through the present, through the future. John preached a while back on the set time, great sermon. And one command in the Bible concerning time is in Ephesians 5.16, redeem the time because the days are evil. And redeem means to buy back. 
or it actually means, in another sense, to convert into something of value, to redeem it into something that's useful, okay, because something of value. And we want our time to be valuable. Our time is valuable to us. We want it to be used in a valuable way. It was a Christian bestseller. It was a long time ago. It's probably in the 80s or early 90s. And it was called Strong Men in Tough Times. And it listed 10 things that scripture prophesies about the last days. And it says that the Bible predicts that in the last days, there will be, number 10, the rise of the worship of evil. We've got that going on. Hardening of hearts, number nine. A perversion of principles, number eight. The erasure of standards. Number six, the emasculation of manhood. Five, the deterioration of character. Four, an increase in the intensity of living. Not necessarily the enjoyment, but the intensity. Number three, magnification of personalities. Two, acceleration of activity. And one, the compression of time. Compression of time. It just feels like it's so tight, like you just never have enough. A secular psychologist wrote a book many years ago, and he identified 10 things that make us angry in everyday living. Number 10, the complexity of life. Number nine, age displacement. Number eight, change. Some of us just hate change. And God changes everything around us, but sometimes we just need to change stuff in us. Number seven, computers, technology, the frustration of it, the expectation of it. Number six, customer service. And I, I'll go, what's that? Okay. Five, competition. Four, rising cost. Three, disconnectedness. Two, communication overload. And number one, just what Strongman in Tough Times said, the compression of time. What makes us frustrated, angry in everyday living? The compression of time. I will be 70 years old in two months. Easy will be 89 years old in a few months. Reasonably speaking, most of you in this room will have many more years left than we do on earth to accomplish God's purposes for your life. But if I don't learn to do everything in his time, I will be doing my own thing and it will be very frustrating and not fulfilling at all. And so if you have committed your life to the Lord and if your life, which it does, consists of time, your time must be submitted to the Lord or really it's no commitment at all. Exodus 3.1 says there's a time to every purpose under the sun. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Everything, it says, is beautiful in its time. Hosea 10, 12. The, the scripture says, now it is time to seek the Lord till he comes. Meaning, seek the Lord till you get what's on his heart, what's on his mind, what he's saying. Haggai 1, 2. The people said, the time has not come for us to build the house of the Lord. We are too busy. We have our own lives going on, and we can't go rebuild the temple right now was basically the gist of it. But the Lord answered them in Haggai 1.4 and said, is it time for you to dwell in paneled houses, and yet my house is not built? So sometimes the Lord's concept of what time it is is not the same as our concept of what time it is. Jesus often spoke of the fullness of time. Once he said, my time has not yet come. He knew when it wasn't time. And in Jesus' day, the Jews recognized seasons or stages of life. And, and for growth to be healthy, a young Jewish man was under teachers or tutors until he was age 30. Then at age 30, 
the tutor would say to his father, he's now ready. And you're thinking, well, why were they able to say he's ready? Why, why would the father be able to say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased? Was he pleased about all of his accomplishments? No, he hadn't accomplished anything yet. He was just ready. He hadn't done anything yet. He was in training. But the father was pleased that he had stayed submitted in the training. And training took time. Preparation time is never wasted time. Preparation time is never wasted time. In 1979 and 1980, I was 28 years old. I'd been a, a Christian about three years, three and a half years. I had a 10-year-old son. Easy and I were married. Easy would leave for work. I would drop Paul Michael at school, and I would get all my housework done, get the house clean, plan dinner, knowing that we would travel out of town at least two weekends a month because Easy would minister somewhere out of town. But I would get all my stuff done so that I could then devour every hour I could reading the Word, reading Christian books, studying reference material for hours until it was time to go pick up Paul Michael, help him with his homework, cook dinner, take him to soccer practice, and do whatever was needed in the evening. I did that for months, months and months and months at that period of my life. And I had friends that did many other things. Now, I'm not saying I never took any time out for enjoyment or, you know, never got other things done or never visited my family. But those months and months and months of study were the basis of things that I have used to teach for years. God would quicken a scripture to me, and I would just study it and devour it and, and meditate on it and look up everything I could on it. And those were deposited in me, and those deposits are still yielding interest today in the lives of others that I've taught. And so when you spend your time doing what God beckons you to do, even if it's for extended periods of time during different seasons of your life, you don't know what difference that will make as you get older. You don't know how much you'll draw on that in other seasons of your life. So the time I spent over 40 years ago is still producing fruit today. How much time have we spent that's producing no fruit? <laughs> how much time have we spent that the minute we were out of it, we got, oh, that was fruitless. That was a waste of time. And so you could be, though, 50 years old, sitting in this room today, and have sat in church for 30 years of it, and yet still be a babe in Christ, because it depends how you respond to God's word, how you allow it to change you, how much you conform to it, how much time you spend in his presence, uh, allowing him to mold you and shape you, and how much you obey his prompting. So just spending time doesn't mean that the time amounts to anything, depending on what you're doing during that time. Now, you could have giftings, you could have abilities, and yet not really be ready to, to be released into ministry if you try to circumvent the training time. You can't cut it short, it'll be to your detriment. And some people try to push ahead of God's time. And on those people, I, I do reigns. I'm, I'm on, okay, yeah, you're going to go. You're going to go. Soon you're going to go, but not yet. And then there's other people that lag behind. And you've got to just give them a little nudge from behind. And it's funny how we are. It's just about our personalities sometimes. Some of us are hesitant and fearful. And some of us are too ambitious, maybe. And so we don't want to push ahead. We don't want to lag behind. Hebrews 5.12 says, in the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you all over again. And see, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be that we should be at another stage of growth and we're still lagging behind. At the end of 2001, that was what, 21, 20 years ago, I told Easy, I felt so frustrated. I felt there was so much that God wanted us to accomplish and there was so little time left to do it. <laughs> 20 years ago, I felt like I was out of time. 
I'm still here. <laughs> but I told him, I go, maybe we've missed it. We were just in a frustrating time. I go, maybe we've missed it. Maybe we're not going to fulfill God's will for our life. You know, maybe we're not going to get there. And that same week, I went to a service because Easy had promised someone that I was going to be there. And if we promise somebody we're going to do something, we do it. And I didn't want to go, but because he had promised I would be there, I went. And a prophetic guy was speaking, a prophetic person, and I was one of the people that was called out that night. And I was given a prophetic word. And part of the word said, the years to come will be the most anointed, most fulfilling, most fruitful, most rewarding years of your life. And yet I felt like I was out of time. So if you feel in this room like you're out of time today, God may have something very different to say about it. You're not out of time. And so I, I thought, okay, thank you, God. I haven't missed it. You know, I, I haven't wasted the, the previous time. You're going to do something with me. And so at nearly 70 and 89, though, we still have to work at giving God control of our time. See, we, you can't just do it one time. You have to continually make that decision over and over and over. And sometimes he says go, and sometimes he says wait. And waiting time can make you or break you. But it also shows what's in you. What's in you? Exodus 32.1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron. Note here, you can always find somebody who even looks spiritual, maybe even a minister to tell you what you want to hear. It's called forum shopping. And if you call enough people, you can get somebody to agree with you, no matter how dumb your thought is. And so they said to Aaron, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, this man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's become of him. Notice the disrespect, the contempt that delayed gratification brought out of them. It didn't happen the way they hoped, the way they were counting on, the, the way they thought. So they got to blame somebody. <laughs> so let's blame the man who got us out here. They were children. Children are impatient. Children can't wait. Children also forget what they were instructed. I, I forgot you told me that, Mom. Mom, you, you said to do, I forgot, Mom. They forgot what God said. And so they run to Aaron to get another voice. Do we forget what God told us and find new counsel when timing gets uncomfortable? These Israelites determined that they were going to make something happen since God wasn't seeming to do anything. They couldn't wait for the promised land that they could not see, so they produced something they could see because it looked and seemed more impressive to them. They had earthly vision, and they were self-directed, and God wants us to have heavenly vision and be directed by him. And so how many times, or how many people really, have missed God's will because they couldn't wait on his timing because they felt they were out of time? You're not out of time. 20 years ago, I thought I was out of time. I'm not out of time. I'm not out of time now. I, I, when I was in my 50s, I thought, God, I'm too old to be training up these young people. Now I'm 70. I'm not too old, Alicia. I'm not too old, Dan. I'm not too old, Paul. See, I'm not, I, was, I thought I was too old then, but I'm not too old now. You're not out of time. You're not out of time. But we don't want to make something happen. You know, we've all heard it said, we find time for the things that are important to us. We find time for what's important to us. Luke 14, 16, a certain man gave a great supper. He invited many. 
And he sent his servants to say to them, Come, for all things are now ready. The time is at hand. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I bought a piece of land and I have to go inspect it. One said, uh, I, I purchased five yoke of oxen and I've got to go test them. And one said, I just got married. I can't come. And they all made excuses. And they were excused. But the master instructed his servants to let others take their place. Saying of those with the excuses, they shall never taste of the supper that I have prepared for them. If God has cooked something up for me, I don't want anybody else eating my meal. I know some of you go to a restaurant and you look across the table if you think their little uh, thing that they ordered is just this much bigger than yours because you ordered the same thing and you don't want theirs to be bigger than yours. You don't want somebody else getting food that belongs to you. Why would we want somebody else to take our place when it comes to the will of God? See, why? I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. In, in John 4, 34, Jesus says this, my meat, another translation says my meal, another one says my food, another one says my nourishment, is to do the will of him who sent me. See, what fills us and satisfies us is when we're doing God's will. So I don't want somebody else doing the will of God that I was supposed to do for my life because I'll never be satisfied. See, I'll be filled. My food, my meat, my nourishment, my meal is to do the will of him who sent me. And nothing tastes better than doing God's will, even if it's hard getting there and even if it requires a wait. Ed Cole, some of you would look at me like that young man looked at easy when he said Evander Holyfield. Ed Cole was a man of God who ministered to men and had great men's meetings all throughout the 80s. Easy actually put on one of the meetings for him here in Houston, had 7,800 men at Hoffines Pavilion. But Ed Cole's wife once told him, Ed, you were born to be in the fire, not to live in the smoke. See, to go from glory to glory, the price has to be paid again and again, or else you live remembering your faded glory. Not living in the fire, you're living in the smoke. At every new stage and at every new level, you can go on with God, or you can stay back and then complain that you got left behind. <laughs> Great men of God made purposeful choices of how they spent their time. Kenneth Hagin, that Cammie held up his little booklets, we're still using them today, great father of the faith, he's now deceased. He, he was actually friends with my spiritual mother, who's going to be 98 in February. Kenneth Hagin tells of Jesus appearing to him in February of 1950, saying, you have not done what I've called you to do. Now, Kenneth Hagin was pastoring a church. He was in an itinerant ministry, traveling living by faith, seemingly doing good things for God, uh, seemingly living like a man of God, but God says, you've not done what I've called you to do. Because God had put on his heart to go from church to church and talk about the ministry of healing. But in those days, that was not well received. And it was a lot of controversy. Uh, it was somewhat despised. There was a lot of persecution that came with it. What do you mean? It was like people just believed, you know, if you were sick, you were going to suffer for Jesus. And so this was a new message for the body of Christ, even though it's in the Bible. And so God said to Kenneth, do what I've called you to do. Time is short. Kenneth Hagin began obeying God, even though persecution did come his way, even though some ministers spoke ill of him. And yet, because he obeyed, untold thousands were healed. Uh, Raymond ministry popped up. Pastors all over the world have been trained. 
from one man's obedience. See, one man obeyed, and there was this ripple effect that has affected millions and millions of people, and we still have his books today in our foyer. Ed Cole tells of the year 1981. His life was incredibly busy. He was involved with two Christian television stations. He was chancellor of a school of ministry. He was the senior pastor of a church and conducting some men's rallies on the side. Everything was going well. Everything was thriving. See, it doesn't have to be that every door shuts and then you go do God's will. When we were in the middle of Love You Houston, a very successful men's ministry that Easy had, Evander Holyfield had just spoken. We had hundreds of men. Easy had these meetings at three locations around Houston uh, during the week. Hundreds of men showed up. And on the way home, we looked at one another and said, is this what we're supposed to be doing? And God said, let it go. Shut it down. You're supposed to invest in the next generation. And we started with a group of a couple of young kids. See, sometimes even what looks good is not what you're supposed to be putting your hand to. And so all these things were thriving in Ed's life, and no door was closed. And George Otis, now not some of you are familiar with George Otis Jr. This was George Otis Sr., his dad, came to town, and he began to speak about Ed's ministry to men. And as he began to speak, the, the, a, a spirit of prophecy fell upon him, and he began to look at Ed in front of all these people, and he said, this ministry is running late. And it's like Ed was rebuked publicly in front of this whole group of ministers. And within 24 hours, Ed resigned from both TV stations, gave his resignation as chancellor, let go of every major commitment, included pastoring his people who loved him because God said, it's now time to major in men. And so he began his greater ministry to the world at large. Someone took over his church. Someone filled in his chancellor. Someone was at the TV stations. Nothing got left undone. But he began to do another ministry that was actually God's specific assignment for him. Years ago, God told Easy, time is of the essence. That was decades ago, but it's still true today. See, time is of the essence. George Whitfield, you know, we've heard of him. Remember the guy at what, England and Scotland, and he was in Ireland. So I mean, he had the orphanages. We've heard the stories about they wouldn't have any food for all the kids in the orphanage. He, they'd all pray, and he'd go, that's all right. God's going to provide, and someone would show up with groceries. He did more than orphanages. He preached. He, he did untold sermons. He, he traveled. He, I think he sailed the Atlantic, they said, seven times, you know, in his ministry. Uh, every night of his life, he judged his activities for the day, noting how he used his time and how much of it profited God's kingdom. John Wesley, who you know, lived by a motto, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Wesley died after 53 years of ministry. He was 88 years old. But he had raised up and organized a radical army of lay preachers he traveled 5,000 miles a year by horseback. He preached over 50,000 sermons, 50,000 sermons, and he wrote 233 books. That one book was not easy. He wrote 233 books. We've got 232 to go, honey. And so, <laughs> but look how he used his time. His contribution to Christianity is one that will not fade away. It won't be fading. And so for some of us in this room, it's time to seek the Lord till he comes. I don't mean till he comes back. I'm not talking about the rapture. I mean, seek the Lord 
till you get his direction for your life, till you get a word for him, from him, a rhema word, that, that thing you just, you feel so confused. He's not the author of confusion. And he's here to give you the wisdom you need. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask. He will give it to us liberally. Seek the Lord till he comes and brings your answer. For others, it's like in Romans. It's high time to awake from your slumber. You just need to wake up and start doing something for God. See, it's time to just get up and get at him because God has something for you. And you don't need to just sit there till you die. You can, you can live while you're going on with him. And to some, God is saying, your time has not yet come. <laughs> stay submitted, stay under training, but preparation time is never wasted time. And see, there's different things he says about time, but he cares about your time. And so the truth is, we don't need a resolution today. We need a revelation. <laughs> we just need a revelation. And so we don't want to waste our time on things that will just be looked at by him as wood, hay, and stubble when he's called us to do things of eternal significance. And so really, we want to commit our time. We want to submit our time. We want him to direct our time so that we can all say the, the scripture in Psalm 3115, Lord, my times are in your hands. Stand up with me, please. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for the beginning of a new year. We thank you, Lord, that you are, you're, you're not limited by time, God, but we live in time. And so we do submit our time to you. We commit our time to you. We ask you to direct our steps. Lord, you say that our steps are ordered by you, but sometimes we're just not following orders. And so, God, we just ask, Lord, that we will come to you as little children and say, Lord, do with me as you will, and our times will be in your hands. And so we won't be frustrated. We won't feel like our time is worthless. We won't feel like we're not accomplishing anything. We will be agreeing with you. We will be co-laboring with you, partnering with you, and we will get your result. So, God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for the blessing that we sang over every person in this room, God. I thank you for them and their families and their families' families, Lord. I thank you that the, the things that we're doing today matter for eternity. The things that we're doing presently matter for eternity. Lord, I just thank you. Things I did 40 years ago matter today. You're still bearing fruit today. Things that we're doing tomorrow are going to make a difference next month and the month after and the month after. I thank you, God, that we will value our time just as much as you do. You value us and you value our time. And so, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you will increase the value of our time by, as we increase our obedience to you. And we give you praise and thanks. I bless every person in this room under the sound of my voice. Those that are at home, God, we pray for healing for all those that are dealing with COVID and respiratory issues and viruses. And what have you, Lord, we just pray for healing and health to rise up speedily. We thank you for an occurrence of miracles in this place that will draw people as never before. Father, we just thank you right now. We just thank you for the supernatural to become natural, just like was said earlier. We thank you, God, that everyday life for us will be supernatural because we are united with you. So we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.